Jackson on the drive, kicks it out for Mann. Mann, three-pointer, bang! Oh, what a man! Magic down the middle, just what I thought, a hook shot at 12, good! Here's Michael at the foul line, a shot on Elo, good! The Bulls win! They win! Now that's a steal by Murr, underneath the DJ, right there! Going up over Bell, Paul away! What's going on, guys? Welcome to another post-game live here for the 2023 NBA playoffs on Dime Dropper. Before we get started, please make sure to subscribe on YouTube at Dime Dropper. Make sure to turn on the notification bell so you know every single time I go live or post a video. Just recently posted my Clipper playoff vlog for Game 3 and then reaction to Game 4. Obviously, I've been trying to react to every single game of these NBA playoffs. And in this episode, no Clippers, no Lakers, because I covered those last night. It's going to be Warriors-Kings games 3 and 4. And I'm not going to do it as separately, kind of just kind of tie them together. But Warriors-Kings games 3 and 4, because if you recall, during game 3, I was at the Clipper game. So I didn't get, that, get to actually watch it the night of. And then Knicks-Cavs, that was on Friday and then on Sunday. So I'm going to be talking about those two, which to me was a very similar story in both games. And then... Hawks and Celtics just watched both today. So let's get right into it. Shout out to everybody in the live. I know it's a little bit late. Probably not going to have that many people in the live, you know, considering how late it is and no Clippers, Lakers, but appreciate those that are in here. This is mostly for the, you know, the day after crowd, Spotify, Apple podcast crowd. But let's get into it with the Warriors and the Kings, starting with game three. You could tell immediately right off the bat that the Warriors had a sense of desperation that they were playing with, a sense of urgency defensively. And, you know, games two and three have been a slugfest, kind of. It's been, you know, a lot of missed shots, tough D, pretty physical. And I think that the Warriors came out with the right energy in that game. And obviously Draymond being suspended, they made a change. And it was Jordan Poole starting in place of him. So Steve Kerr going with an offense-heavy, you know, Four, flo- four floor spacers with Wiggins at the four. And I'll tell you what, Kavon Looney, he made some really solid reads in the pick and roll, but where he really impacted the game, and in my opinion was the second best player on the court for the Warriors, was on the offensive glass. He was absolutely dominant, getting rebounds over Sabonis, and the quick kickouts, he got a couple of assists on those, and the Warriors really took advantage of that. Kavon Looney, four points, 20 rebounds, and nine assists. Nine offensive rebounds in Game 3. Absolutely ridiculous production from Looney. We saw that all playoffs long last year in their route to the championship. But man, with Draymond out, they needed a big performance and they got a big performance. And, you know, besides that, they were basically up wire to wire. I mean, up by 9 after 1, up by 12 at halftime, and just kind of were able to keep the Kings in check. You know, Sabonis still had a double-double, 15.16 boards, but six turnovers. And right now, DeMontis Sabonis, I'm not impressed with his offensive, you know, arsenal in the post. He only wants to turn over his right shoulder. He bluffs like he's going to go over his left shoulder, but then oftentimes, he just tries to barrel into the chest 
of Kevon Looney or whoever's defending him. And right now the Warriors, you know, this whole series, they've given him room to shoot the mid-range, room to shoot that elbow jumper. And he doesn't at all. And a lot of times he's just used that to get a little bit of a head start to ram into the chest like he's Giannis of Kevon Looney and folks. But it's just kind of predictable. I thought Harrison Barnes was pretty good in Game 3. at 17 points on 6-for-10 shooting and had a really good third quarter. Um, Keegan Murray, again, not so great, though. 2-for-7 from the field. De'Aaron Fox, if there was any game in the series where you could say he didn't really play that well, it would be Game 3. But, I mean, 26-9-9 and is not bad at all. I mean, yes, he turned the ball over four times um, and was 9-for-22 from the field, but I still think he was okay. He led the way for points for the Kings, but I was also looking at that game from a Warriors fan kind of perspective, a Warriors lens, because they had to win. It was their must-win game. All the pressure was on them, and they got the job done. You know, Kevin Herter shot better, 50%, 6 for 12, but 1 for 6 from deep, so he just couldn't make shots, and the bench couldn't make shots. Finally, Malik Monk had a bad game. uh, Davion Mitchell was 2 for 6. The team as a whole, 38% from the field. 23% 23% from three, and they shot 47 threes. 11 for 47 from three. So Sacramento, who leads the league in three-point shots, made and attempted this season. They did not deviate from their strategy. You know, they shot a ton of threes, and in my opinion, some of those shots were just a little too much. I mean, yes, they generated a bunch of open looks, but I don't know. It felt like, you know, just if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I'm sorry, not if it ain't broke, don't fix it. The opposite. You know, when th- your threes aren't falling, you've got to do something else. you got to do something else. And I feel like the Kings, they just continue to shoot threes and continue to shoot threes. And it just didn't really go for them. As for the Warriors, I mean, Andrew Wiggins again. Three straight really good games. 20 points, seven rebounds. I keep thinking my chest is hitting my microphone, but it's not. 20 points, 7 rebounds. He was a plus 17. 8 for 16 from the field and guarding De'Aaron Fox most of the night. He was just phenomenal in Game 3. 3 for 6 from deep. Klay Thompson actually had a cold shooting game after a good one in Game 2. 13 points for him. 5 for 15 from the field and 3 for 10 from deep. But I thought he had a lot of good defensive moments, even when he was switched on to Sabonis, you know, staying strong and using his sturdy frame to not get moved. Jordan Poole, you know, he, he actually definitely contributed when he, as he, when he started. 16 points, 5 rebounds, 4 assists, 3 steals. I thought his effort defensively was a lot better. But still, you know, they're going to put him in pick and roll and he's going to struggle. He's going to get blown by. The main thing with Jordan Poole is, yes, if he can try on defense, it's fine. But also take the right shots. You know, in this game, 1 for 7 from deep. 4 for 13 overall. So, you know, not very efficient. And off the bench, you know, you saw 13 minutes of Kaminga. Pretty good. 6 points. Three for seven from the field. Moses Moody and Dante DiVincenzo, though, they really gave the Warriors a nice lift in this one. DiVincenzo with a nice hezzy that probably should have been a double dribble or a carry in the end of the first quarter, but he was getting into the paint and making plays, making the extra pass. You know, obviously they're going to try to put Sabonis in the pick and roll a lot, and Sabonis has been hedging those screens, you know, coming up to the level, coming up to the three-point line all series long. The better success, I feel like, and he's actually done okay in my opinion, but I think the better you know, success or the more success the Warriors have had have been on dribble handoff kind of actions where they can try to turn turn the corner on him. And DiVincenzo, you know, they're getting to that baseline and guys like DiVincenzo are making really good kickouts. And in the in game three, he found a couple guys for some big shots. Six points, seven boards, eight assists, four steals for Dante. And then Moses Moody coming off the bench, adding his athleticism and youth to the cause, getting to the rim. 
hitting a couple of threes, two for five from deep, four for seven from the field, 13 points in 16 minutes. You'll take that. But the player of the game, he shot 48% from the field, 50% from three, and 100% from the line. He came to play when his team needed him most. That is Chef Curry, and he did it with mostly off the ball. On the ball, they're going to hedge the screens, throw two at him. But when he's off the ball, he can still find a way to get clean looks in transition for threes, and he was fired up. 36 points, 6 rebounds, 3 assists, 2 steals, and a block for Chef. I still think, though, his defense, even though I'm going to talk about some good defensive moments in Game 4, his defense to me throughout the season, these playoffs so far, has not looked like last season. He's getting beaten way too easily, both on the ball and off the ball. He's at fault for, I counted, 6 to 8 points in Game 3, first half alone that Steph Curry got beat. So no bias here. I'm just telling how it is. Still phenomenal. Big win for the Warriors in Game 3. They needed that. Obviously, no team has ever come back from 3-0 down. 114-97 to keep it alive. But let's go to the game that happened on Sunday because, oh, my God, it was a doozy. Game 5, Warriors versus Kings. I'm sorry, Game 4, Warriors versus Kings on ESPN again. And it's funny, both games that have been on ESPN – have been absolutely electric. Both games that have been on TNT have been kind of a slugfest. But let's talk about that one. The Warriors got Draymond Green back, but he wanted to come off the bench. So showing a lot of sacrifice, he said, Coach, if you don't want to mess it up, what we just did well in Game 3 with Jordan Poole starting, you know, with Kevon Looney, now you don't have two non-spacers on the court. You only have one non-spacer. You got three shooters around Steph. Or you can say three shooters around Clay. They've got more shooters out there, more offense out there. And it's tougher to guard, especially for a team like Sacramento, who is not a very good defensive team, but has looked like a better defensive team, probably in part to having two non-spacers on the floor. This game was amazing. Uh, Sacramento and Golden State game four. It was an absolute shootout. These pushing the pace. I mean, I kept saying, and I said in the first two games, but the Sacramento Kings have been pushing the pace on made baskets like no team I've seen in my lifetime. The only team I've seen do this in the playoffs is Showtime Lakers. We're uh, watching their old games. Pushing the pace on made baskets so many times in this series and even in these games in, or, uh, in Chase Center. I almost said Oracle. In Chase Center, you can see the second the Warriors score, Fox is pushing it down. He's getting into a pick and roll within six seconds. You know, on some Steve Nash, seven seconds or less shit. And Fox, you know, he came back to play in game four. Just amazing, and it was just a lot of, you know, high offensive, you know, high-level offense being played in Game 4. 32-31 Kings after one, 37-34 in favor of the Kings in the second quarter. They were up 69-65, and somebody that finally woke up was Keegan Murray. I mean, this guy was splashing. He was splashing couple times, Warrior players went underneath the screen, and he made him pay. He made him pay. As far as the Warriors, you know, Draymond Green, I thought he immediately showed what they missed. Well, I mean, they still won without him, so I shouldn't say that, but his defense was just amazing. Rim protection, rotating, active hands, disrupting plays, just fantastic. Um, Malik Monk. Kind of returned in this game. He didn't shoot very well, though. Five for tur- five for 14. Had a couple costly turnovers. Had three turnovers in the game. But overall, the Kings were low turnover. Only 10 in this game. He had 16 points. As I said, five for 14 from the field. Two for five from deep. Took along with five rebounds and five assists. 
Davion Mitchell, really solid game from him in my opinion. His plus minus doesn't say that, but 12 points, 5 for 8 from the field. And his defense on Curry is just amazing. I mean, Steph Curry looks to get Davion Mitchell switched off of him all the time. Like, throughout the game. He's constantly trying to get a different defender on him because Davion Mitchell is that good defensively. So you got to give him a ton of props. He's done a really good job. In this game, you also saw a little bit of uh, Clay Thompson's back. 26 points for him. 9 for 15 from the field. 4 for 9 from deep. And 4 for 4 from the line. Also, Wiggins, again. I feel like he's shot well in every single game. 18 points and 8 boards to go along with 3 assists, 2 steals, and 4 blocks. His defense was just amazing. And you know, De'Aaron Fox may have gotten 38 points, but he shot 14 for 31, 4 for 11 from deep. Wiggins did his best and definitely did a job of kind of slowing him down. Fourth quarter, Fox almost had different plans. But we saw third quarter Warriors in this game. 37-23 to 23 in favor of Golden State. Over the years, we've become so accustomed to seeing them whoop teams' asses in the third quarter. And we saw no different on Sunday. Draymond Green, you know, 12-10-7 kind of more so shows what he was doing out there. But 3-for-14 doesn't really. Is it 3-for-14? God damn it. See, I got to figure out how to get my computer to stop being so hot. Because look how laggy it is. And it's it doesn't it's not even actually my internet it's my computer being so hot. But if anybody has any tips for how to make a Mac cool down, please let me know because it's starting to grow very tiresome. Uh, Draymond Green three for fourteen though, but he just does so many other things to affect the game. And in the fourth quarter, you know the Kings they made a push, they made a push, and it just felt like you had to watch out for fourth quarter Fox, and fourth quarter Fox was there. He was getting to his spot, getting to the foul line. You know, Kevon Looney, he was even doing a decent job in drop coverage of stepping up. But De'Aaron was just unbelievable the way he can stop on a dime, hit those floaters. His jumpers improved tremendously. You know, a couple times the Warriors were going underneath screens. And he was making them pay. Um, but the Warriors, on the other hand, you know, they played great offense too. Steph Curry was just awesome. Obviously coming off screens, just doing his Steph Curry thing, making tough shots. And Jordan Poole. You know, I thought he had a really solid game offensively. A couple of times he got two feet in the paint. Really good display of handles, as we know he can do. And creating good shots for other guys. 22 points for him. Four assists on eight for 15 from the field. So between Curry, Thompson, and Poole, you got 80 points. So you'll take that. 32 for Steph, 26 for Clay, and 22 for Jordan Poole. And you also get 18 from Wiggins on seven for 12 shooting. You know, the Warriors shot 50% in this game from the field. 41% from deep. The Kings... Had 12 more shot attempts, 47% from the field, 40% from three, but they still fell short. And the ending to this game was absolutely bonkers, absolutely bonkers. The Warriors, you know, they were making big shot after big shot, whether it be Steph, Clay, those two in particular were making big shots in the fourth quarter. And then, you know, Draymond Green missed a layup, Kavon Looney missed a dunk, Kevon Looney had a couple of illegal screens. Jordan Poole straight up turned the ball over on a fast break. And the Kings still couldn't take advantage. And I also want to say Sabonis again, you know. Give Kevon Looney and, and Draymond Green credit for staying strong and just being good interior defenders. But he has not been impressive in this series. You know, he shoots efficiently, but 14 points 
you know, seven rebounds, one steal, and two block. That sounds all good. You know, seven for 13. No free throw attempts in this game for him. He probably should have gotten a couple, but no free throw attempts. That's pretty telling. Um, the Kings, by the way, outscored the Warriors 33-24 in the fourth. So they did have a good fourth quarter. But DeMontis Sabonis in this series, I don't even know if he's had a 20-point game. I think he did in game two. Let me check the stats real quick. God, my computer is just absolutely in shambles right now, it seems. They haven't put together his four-game postseason stats. But, yeah, he had 24 points in game two. But in the other three games, he hasn't even gotten past, you know, he hasn't even gotten 16 points. So he's definitely been, definitely been a little bit underwhelming so far, scoring-wise for the Kings. They're going to need better in Game 5 and just in general if they're going to win this series. But Stephen Curry nearly pulled a Chris Webber in this game. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. This man, Steph Curry, called a timeout when his team didn't have any timeouts left. Technical foul and the ball for the Kings. Malik Monk makes the free throw. De'Aaron Fox hits a three. And mind you, this is after the Kings, particularly Malik Monk, was getting reckless with the ball. You know, coming up the court, rushing when it was close. You know, you got to get a good shot. This is playoff basketball. You don't just go one on three into the teeth of the defense. And Draymond Green and Kevon Looney, even Klay Thompson, really good moments of verticality. Um, I also thought Steph Curry was more active defensively in this game, game four. Um, even though he had decent moments in game three as well, but I thought that late in this game he made some big defensive plays. But De'Aaron Fox hit a contested three over Draymond Green, who, by the way, defended De'Aaron Fox. And I saw that he held him to two for seven shooting. I remember I test, he switched on at him and one time got De'Aaron to settle for a three. The way Draymond still plays defense is just phenomenal. You know, that's why he gets away with the antics in terms of what he does for the team. He plays such good defense and he does so much for them in that respect. But De'Aaron Fox made a three over him late in the game, made it a one-point game. Steph shoots a floater with 10 seconds to go so early. I'm not going to lie. I was pretty nervous. I want the Kings to win the series, but I didn't want the Warriors to go down 3-1. I wanted a 2-2 series going back to Sacramento because, look, I said the best series before the first round was going to be Clippers-Suns, and it was looking like it was going to be that way. And it hasn't been a bad series at all, but with Kawhi Leonard being hurt, it's just become a totally different series. And now the second best series, which I expect it to be, has become the first, Warriors and Kings. And... It's going to be an amazing game five. But the point is, Steph Curry went early. And then the Kings had a chance to win the game. And I like the decision by the Warriors to double team, get the ball out of his hands. I think Steph Curry and Draymond did a really good job there containing Fox on the dribble. Draymond did a good job of not letting him split between the two of them because Fox was hitting that in and out, trying to split. Draymond built the wall. And then Steph did a great job of, of helping and then recovering. Got a hand up to Harrison Barnes. How crazy would it have been if Harrison Barnes made a game-winning three to beat his former team and basically end the dynasty by making them go down 3-1, but he missed the shot, and the Warriors survive and defend home court. 33-8 at home at the Chase Center this season. They are now 35-8 overall if you include the playoffs. So both teams are defended home court. So technically, according to Kenny Smith's theory of the series does not start until the team loses the first home game, well... Looks like the series is just beginning, and it's a best of three. Stephen Curry led the way. He almost blew the game, though, but he got the job done. 
32 points, 5 rebounds, 4 assists, and a steal on a 50% shooting, 11 for 22, 5 for 11 from deep, and 5 for 5 from the line. The way he can just shoot the ball so well is unbelievable. 43 minutes for Steph, and there was a stretch in the first half where he got off to a really hot start, and Steve Kerr pulled him out towards the end of the first quarter, or with like six, five minutes left in the first. I don't remember how much time was left in the first, and I just know the Steph stands were going to be going crazy about that because he was hot, and, and you know the Warriors' offense naturally when he came out cooled down a bit and allowed the Kings to kind of close that gap and take the lead after one. But valiant effort by Sacramento. You could argue they you know, think they could have won this game. I mean, Keegan Murray, 23 points, seven boards on nine for 13 shooting and five for seven from deep. Like you knew a game from him was coming and I just didn't know it was going to come on the road. Harrison Barnes had a stinker though. Nine points, three for 11 from the field, one for six from deep, including the last shot. Um, So not as good as game three at all. But De'Aaron Fox, 38 points, nine rebounds, five assists, 14 for 31 from the field, four for 11 from deep. So maybe a three too many. Six for eight from the line in 40 minutes. The guy has just been outstanding in the series. You can argue he's been the best player in the series. I think he has been. Curry's second. But Curry, you know, he got the job done. He defended home court just like Fox defended his home court. And now we go to game five. It should be absolutely electric. Coming up, though, going to be talking about the Knicks and the Cavs. Before I do that, I am going to let my computer cool down for just a second. And I'm going to get the charger for my phone so I can look up the stats on my phone because it is really hurting the connection on this live and it's making me really angry. So stay patient for about two minutes. Two minutes. Do not go anywhere. There's 18 people in the live. I don't want to see any more than 18 people or I'm sorry, any less than 18. By the way, before I move on to the Knicks, I want to say my LA Kings, such a heartbreaker. In this one, game four, we were up 4-3. And, you know, to allow a goal so late in the game, around three minutes left in the third period, I really didn't want overtime. We got overtime, and this time we weren't the winners. We won two games in overtime so far this series, games one and three. But a stupid penalty by Adrian Kempe. What the hell was he thinking, man? Just hit the shit out of him into the boards. And... Uh, Edmonton finished us off. Tough, man, because now this, you know they got home ice back to best of three, and they got two home games over there, and I really don't want to lose to them again. I think this Kings team is really fun. Got you know the new blood, Gabe Velarde, Quentin Byfield, uh, Fiala. I mean, it's fun. Arvidsson, Denault, getting used to these new players, helping out the old guard of Drew Doughty and Anze. I really want to go to a game. I mean, I'm going to try to go to game six because there may not be a game six with the Clippers, so I'm going to try to go. But anyway, hey, we're up 3 nothing too, not just 4-3. We're up 3 nothing. It's just if we lose the series, it's going to be this game we think about. Such fine margins even in hockey. Let's talk about the Knicks and the Cavs. So I just want to give a shout-out first off. The MSG crowd, second to only the Kings. I mean, they have been bouncing for both games as you'd expect it's been the first Knicks sold out playoff crowd since the series against Indiana in 2013 and boy have they brought it I mean and it's brought the best out of RJ Barrett too who's been really good in both games had a terrible start to the series in Cleveland but in New York he looks like a totally different player he's attacking closeouts making the open shots he's getting and you know the fans chanting his name 
and you got you got you know you love to see it. He's getting his confidence. So the strategy for the Cavs is you know to basically they've, in game three they were allowing Julius Randle to shoot a ton, just allowing Julius Randle to shoot. You know they're gonna come hedge the screens with Mobley or Allen because they have the other guy as backside rim protection. So a lot of times they would just sag off a of Randall. And Randall was missing shots, but he continued to keep shooting them, continued to keep shooting them. But you were getting other good performances, and Jalen Brunson led the way again. You know, when he sees Darius Garland, he goes right to that post, and I like the shots he gets. I mean, step backs, turnarounds over the right shoulder. I'm sorry, over the left shoulder. He's gotten some of those shots down pat. And Josh Hart, you know, continues to be fantastic on both ends of the floor. And this game was a real slugfest. I mean, tied at 17 after one. 17. Cavs' defense was also really good, you know. That's what they excel at. It's that backside rim protection, and part of it was because Randall wasn't making shots. Um, but 17-17 after one. However, in the second quarter, the Knicks, you know, really built up a lead. 28-15 to in the second quarter. They were just playing really good defense. And Darius Garland, who was amazing in Game 2, was absolutely in the doghouse in Game 3. He was missing every single shot imaginable. Floaters, threes, you name it, he was missing. You got to give credit to the Knicks defense as well. So active. You know, they try to put Brunson in the pick and roll, but I think the Knicks try their best to do what they can with it. And Donovan Mitchell, you know, he shot pretty efficiently in this one. 22 points, 7 rebounds, 5 assists on 9 for 19 from the field. 2 for 8 from deep, though. Um, it wasn't that great of a performance. You're going to need more than 22 points. And I think why you're going to need more than 22 points is because the other players in the series have been exposed a little bit. You know, when they start Karis Levert, they don't play as good defensively as when they have Okoro in there because you don't really have a true perimeter defender for Brunson. And, you know, while Levert was 7 for 17 in the game. He was 3 for 11 from deep. The Cavs shot 7 for 33 from deep, 21%. Just been terrible shooting the ball in this series, and they're not a very good three-point shooting team. And what the Knicks have been doing, when Randall gets put in the pick and roll, he hedges, and you got Robinson there for backside rim protection, and he has outplayed Allen and Mobley in this series completely. His rim protection has been amazing. He's destroyed them on the glass. Everything that All Ball and Fabian said in the preview about how the Cavs' defensive rebounding isn't good enough and the Knicks are a great offensive rebounding team, all of that is coming true. The Knicks are dominating on the glass. They're getting out and running when they can. And Cleveland just looks like their lack of depth is really hurting them relative to New York. You know, the Knicks' bench is much better. And Evan Mobley, you know, when Randall comes up and they put Mobley in that short role, he has not shown the ability to finish consistently. He looks awkward offensively. And the two of them don't have any real go-to moves. You know, L.A. Brodus, bless his soul, or Brodus, bless his soul, said, you know, something, they've been trying to pick up a jump hook, you know, from Robin Lopez. I haven't seen no jump hook. You know, I've seen occasional moves. Evan Mobley on the roll sometimes catches it underneath, you know, a little turnaround or, you know, a little up and under but nothing consistent. You know, right now he's not doing enough offensively, and this summer he's going to really have to put in some work because as great as he is defensively, and he's amazing, you know, he's locking up Randall in terms of percentage and stuff. You know, when I see Randall try to go one-on-one -on -one against Mobley, I'm like, ugh. But he's getting pushed down, pushed around a little bit on the glass, Mobley. And Jared Allen not doing much better either. The Knicks just continue to put the pressure on, 
And in the third quarter, they outscored the Cows by four in the fourth by three and ended up cruising to a 99-79 win in game three, only letting the Cavs score 79 points. I mean, that's defense. That's a crowd. Obviously, a part of it's just a bad shooting game for Cleveland, but 39% from the field and 21% from three. Great job by the Knicks defense. Uh, the Cavs getting nothing from the bench scoring-wise, just nine points in real minutes by Osmond. I'm sorry, by, no, not even. You know, Danny Green, Jetty Osmond, and Isaac Okoro were the only ones that were really getting minutes off the bench. That's eight of them. They stagger Mobley and, uh, they stagger Garland and Mitchell, and they stagger Mobley and Allen. But, I mean, my God, you've got, I mean, I think Ricky Rubio may have played. He played five minutes, but. Danny Green's playing. Like, that's when you know it's bad, when Danny Green's playing at this age. But the so, I mean, seven points, all they got from Okoro, who made both of his shots, by the way. But it's all so reliant on the starters. Let's start with Karis LeVert. 17 points, four rebounds, three assists, but seven for 17 from the field and three for 11 from deep. He was left open so much, and he just did not hit enough. Not like game two. Jared Allen, six points and five rebounds on three for three shooting in 37 minutes. That is absolutely inexcusable for him to only get two defensive rebounds in 37 minutes. He blocked two shots, but that is pathetic. Um, as for Evan Mobley, he had a double-double, 10 points and 10 boards on five for 10 shooting. So looks good stat-wise. Only one block. He turned the ball over three times, and the Cavs as a team turned the ball over 20 times, and the Knicks took advantage of it. So again... I have a big phrase as well, one of my convictions. If you turn the ball over 20-plus times on the road, you're not going to win. You're not going to win. The Knicks took advantage of that. And you're going to need more than 10 points from your third-best player. I'm sorry. Darius Garland, talk about your second-best player. 10 points. 4 for 21 from the field. 1 for 7 from deep. 3 assists. 3 turnovers. But he did have 4 steals. It's just not. A, it's, that's terrible. I mean, Garland was just awful. Just terrible night at the office. Could not hit a damn shot. Donovan Mitchell, 22 points, 7 rebounds, 5 assists, 6 turnovers though, 9 for 19 from the field, 2 for 8 from deep. In my opinion, that's keeping him in check. That's doing a good job. 22 points is not doing nothing. It's not scaring you at all. So not good enough from anybody on the Cavs. I don't think anyone really had a good game. If you're a Cavs fan you thought somebody had a good game in Game 3, you let me know who. As for the Knicks, 9 deep with Toppin, Hartenstein, Josh Hart and Emmanuel quickly and shout out to the Knicks fans at the end cheering for Derrick Rose to enter the game and he got in the game but Quinton Grimes he played the least amount of minutes of anyone in the rotation 13 minutes and it was one for five with two points not much to say about him Obi Toppin some really good minutes he's had some really good minutes in the series he was good in game one 15 minutes for him, 8 points, 3 for 8 from the field, 1 for 4 from deep, but he's really good in transition, adds athleticism to the to the Knicks team, and he had 4 steals and a block in those 15 minutes. Isaiah Hartenstein, 7 points, 5 rebounds on 3 for 5 shooting. He's starting to play like that Isaiah Hartenstein that I know. 2 steals and a block for Isaiah, so doing his job off the bench in that backup center role. Emmanuel quickly, 23 minutes played, finally had a decent game. 11 points on 4 for 6 shooting. And obviously, defensively, he does a job. He's gotten so much better. He was a plus 27, which is the highest of any Nick or any player in the game. So shout out to Emmanuel quickly for that one. And he still hasn't had a quickly explosion yet. You know, I feel like that's coming. And then Josh Hart. 
29 minutes off the bench. He continues to just be spectacular. 13 points, six rebounds on four for five shooting, and also two steals. He was a plus 13, and 13 points for him. He has just been awesome guarding the point of attack and just making hustle plays, making the Knicks a faster team. He's been an just so huge. It's been his first playoff series, and he's been ready for the moment, as you'd expect, given what he did at Villanova. How about R.J. Barrett? 19 points, 8 rebounds, and 3 assists on 8 for 12 shooting, 66%, and 50% from 3, 3 for 6. So R.J. didn't shoot any free throws, but he was really good in his role, did what he needed to do. He was that third guy in a night where Randall did not have it going. As for Randall. 11 points and 8 rebounds on 3 for 15 shooting and 2 for 10 from deep. So Randall did not have a good shooting night at all, um, but he was working hard defensively. And Robinson, speaking of working hard defensively, 7.7 boards, 3 assists, 2 steals and 2 blocks. And it's crazy because that just does not even get close to showing you the kind of impact that Mitchell Robinson has had in these games. I mean, he has been a complete deterrent. He's making players not shoot shots around the rim, think twice before they shoot shoot them. It's been amazing from him. He has outplayed Jared Allen and uh, Evan Mobley big time. And now to game four. Now, I'm not going to lie. I did not get to see really the first half of this game at all, actually. I turned it on, and the Knicks were up by nine. But Darius Garland, he woke up in that third quarter. We did not see anything in game three. But he woke up in that third quarter. He was getting in the paint, getting in the in-between game, hitting floaters. And, you know, he's capable of that. And as I said before the season, if you look back on the stuff I made when talking about the Cavs, I said that their offense was going to be very take-turnsy, Mitchell and Garland. Now, it's not only very take-turnsy, it's insanely take-turnsy. It's to the point where it feels like full-on quarters. They'll be like, all right, this is Garland's quarter, and then other quarters, it's Mitchell's quarter. Not, you know, possession by possession or stretches by stretch. It feels very, very take-turnsy, and it's their offense is so dependent on them scoring. What the Knicks have figured out is... If Okoro's in, we are going to hedge the ball screen. And in the four-on-three read, we are leaving him open. We're going to cut off Evan Mobley's line drive to the rim. We're going to cut off the law for Allen. We're going to force you to make that pass. And Mobley, you know, when they do have Levert out there, they're fine with Mobley going at Robinson, and Robinson can play two guys at once because he has that athletic ability and that kind of size. And they figured that out, that they need Garland and Mitchell to play well on the same day. The only game they've really done that is game two. Game one, they weren't bad, but the Knicks, you know, those extra effort plays, the rebounds, the lack of taking care of the ball from the Cavs, and Evan Mobley not having a good game. You know, the Knicks are just getting more contributions from the guys that are not their stars. Because Julius Randle, I mean, he hasn't been that great. Obviously, he's coming back from an injury, but he hasn't been that great. Brunson, though, in my opinion, has been the best player in the series. I mean, he has just been spectacular. Oh, my God. I didn't even mention Julius Br- Jalen uh, Brunson's stats in the game. 21 points, 4 rebounds. It's crazy. Only 21 points, but it felt like he just dominated. 10 for 18 from the field. Didn't make any of his threes, though. It was 0 for 4 from there and only got to the line one time. But he's just, I mean, putting his name up in lights so far but let's go to Sunday as I said yeah they were up by nine at the half and it's funny because they ended up winning by nine but another fairly defensive game not as much though as game three 
The third quarter, the Cavaliers really locked down defensively. It was 26 to 19 in favor of them in that quarter. So they made it only a two-point game going into the fourth. And in the beginning of the, the first half, the Knicks crowd did not sound as pumped up as they did on Friday. And it makes sense. I mean, that's the game, and it's also on a Friday night, supposed to like, you know, an afternoon game. I've been, you know, I've been in one of those situations. And yeah, it's it's definitely not the same energy as a night game. You saw that with the Clipper crowd, I think, in games four and three. Definitely sounded louder at the game I went to, but it might be biased. If you were at both, let me know how it sounded at both. However, I thought the Knicks did a really good job of kind of withstanding all those big pushes from Cleveland. And in the fourth quarter, they were the ones that came out with the better quarter. 29 to 22, they locked down. And the biggest thing that stuck out for me, Donovan Mitchell. He didn't come through. The Cavs needed this game. They needed this game. They could not go down 3-1, and they did. Shout out to the Knicks fans, though. They made it as tough as you can make it for a road team to come in there and get a win. And that's the objective of home playoff crowds. Make life as tough as possible. Give your players that energy, and when they do give you that energy, make enough noise that they stay up. Donovan Mitchell... You know, a guy that I was hearing some people talk about, he's one of the best playoff performers ever. Just because he has one of the highest points per game for a playoffs ever. First of all, you cannot compare eras, raw PPG in different eras like that, and just say, oh, because he's top five in points, he's one of the top, you know, he's a top five playoff scorer ever. No, just by the raw numbers he is. But, like, come on, man. Let's get real here. There's about 50 players, I would say, that are better playoff performers than Mitchell. I mean, guys, are we being serious here in the history of the NBA? He's not one of the best playoff performers of all time. He's one of the better playoff performers of this generation. And even that's overstated, I might add. And I like Donovan Mitchell. I, I like him a lot. But his first year was amazing, you know, when he beat Westbrook and Paul George and he was the best player on the court in those games. He was awesome. That was insane. But the second year against Houston, he shot like 32%, was like terrible in that series. He was great in the bubble, but his team still blew a 3-1 lead. And then against us, they said he was injured. He was chucking up shots after games one and two, bailing us out, and he wasn't playing defense. Everyone was saying that it was because he was hurt. And he did the same shit last year, though. The same shit. It's just a tough shot diet. He is a 6-1 guard or 6'2 point guard with stupid bounce and long arms, when you put length on him, you know, he's, it's just a lot of long jumpers. He doesn't have a con, like contest, consistent get-into-my-mid-range pull-up one-on-one. It's a lot of 18-footers, a lot of threes, and it can go cold. And we saw him go cold in this game. When they needed him, it just felt like Garland was kind of carrying. And again, 19 points off the bench in total. Like, but the Knicks did actually didn't have a good night off the bench. The Cavs actually beat him in bench points in this one, funny enough. 11 points off the bench for New York. 19 for Cleveland. Shetty Osman had 10 points and 5 boards on 2 for 5 shooting off the bench. So at least Shetty Osman getting in on the act. Isaac Okoro had 9 points on 4 for 9 shooting off the bench, but 1 for 5 from deep. And again, the Cavs can't make threes. They need to go get some shooters this offseason. 6 for 23 from deep. 26%. It's just putrid. Ricky Rubio, six minutes, a donut. Danny Green, four minutes, a donut. Every single Cavs starter played at least 35 minutes, the lowest being Evan Mobley, who fouled out. 12.7 boards for him on five for eight from the field. It was just tough. He just had a tough one. Two blocks. He was plus two when he was on the court, but hey, just not enough. 
Jared Allen. Let's go with Karis LeVert. 14 points, 9 boards on 4 for 10 shooting and 2 for 6 from deep. Just not enough. Just not enough. You're going to need more than that from him. He's only had one good game in this series to me, and he has to be better. Has to be absolutely better. That's somebody that L.A. Broad has said was going to be a big player for his team. He has not come through yet. Jared Allen, 14 points, but this is the most appalling stat. Yeah, 14 points on 7 for 11 shooting. Oh, sounds great. Four rebounds. Four rebounds. That's ridiculous. You're seven feet with bounce. Like, that's crazy, man. That's actually insane. No blocks either. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. It's, it's mental, man. It's A lot of it's mental. It's not just skill. He's getting beasted. He's got to be stronger. Come on, Jared Allen. Toughen up. What are we talking about here, man? And then the duo. Darius Garland was the better one today. 23 points, 10 assists. 9 for 16 from the field and 2 for 4 from deep. He's doing his thing. And zero turnovers. Cavs did a better job taking care of the ball. Only 12 turnovers. But Mitchell, 11 points, 4 rebounds, 5 assists, 5 for 18 from the field, 0 for 4 from deep, 6 turnovers. So half the turnovers came from D. Mitch. You needed him, and he did not come through. Now you're going to need a big game in game five, and I think you're going to get that. But it might be too little too late because you're going to have to win an MSG. If that Nixon 5 prediction by Fabian comes true, oh my God, I'm never going to hear the end of it. Cavs, come on. you got to force this to 6. You're too good to be going down like this. Or are you? It's been rebounding, man. It really is. Rebounding, depth. You know, everybody that says that rotation strength in the playoffs, depth doesn't matter. Oh, there's a level of truth to that, but depth definitely matters. Depth definitely matters. Emmanuel quickly had a donut. So, so far, the decision to make Malcolm Brogdon six man of the year has looked pretty good. <laughs> no offense to Quickly. Uh, donut for Emmanuel Quickly in 19 minutes. Deuce McBride had three points in five minutes. One three, one make. Hartenstein, 21 minutes. One point, eight rebounds on 0 for 1 shooting. Obi Toppin, five points, eight rebounds. Thought he made some big plays. Thought he definitely made some big plays. Five offensive rebounds. So, yeah, there you go. Two for five in the field for him. For the Knicks, all the starters played at least 27 minutes. And you know what I thought was really impressive? Quinton Grimes didn't play because of a right shoulder contusion, by the way. What I thought was really impressive was that Julius Randle was sitting out a lot in the second half. Tibbs made the decision. And you got to, you know, Tibbs has made some decisions this season that people did not expect him to make. You know, leaning into the young guys. You know, now sitting Julius Randle in a playoff game because he's not shooting well. I mean, these are decisions... You haven't seen Tibbs make like that. I mean, Randall, 3 for 10 from the field. Like, this guy continues to have poor shooting games. Uh, they haven't calculated his postseason stats on ESPN yet for the four games played, but 7 points, 2 rebounds on 3 for 10 shooting. Like, he's not really having that good of a series, man. But the Knicks supporting cast is so much better this time around. Josh Hart started in place of Grimes, and he was amazing again. 19 points, 7 rebounds, 7 for 16 from the field. Only 1 for 4 from deep, but 4 for 5 from the line. He had 2 steals. I mean, the guy has just been absolutely, utterly electric for the Knicks. He's playing so hard. He's good in transition, even though he's sometimes out of control. But his defense has been superb. His effort has been superb. 40 minutes played. You'll take that all day long. Mitchell Robinson, double-double, 12 and 11. On 5 for 7 from the field to go along with 2 blocks, 7 offensive rebounds. He has beasted Jared Allen on the glass. He's been the best big in this series. And it's showing that maybe he would have made a much bigger difference than we think in that 2021 series against the Hawks that they didn't have him. 
How about R.J. Barrett? The 26 points on 9 for 18 shooting. He was 0 for 6 from deep, but the way he was attacking the basket, shooting that little floater, getting to the rim, I mean, you got to love the performances if you're a Knicks fan from R.J. Barrett. Two really good performances to bounce back from those two performances in Cleveland. Now, can he take that performance from New York and take it to Cleveland? Does his form travel? That's going to be the big key for R.J. Barrett because he's played really well in these Knicks games at home. But the guy, the man, we got to talk about. He is just putting his name up in lights, putting his name in the conversation with the other good point guards like the Garlands, like the Trey Youngs, like, I don't know about the Jaw and the Darren Fox and SGA. I don't know if I'd go that far. But Knicks fans, you let me know what you think because right now, two straight postseasons, Jalen Brunson is playing as well as you can play or as, as well as you expect him to play. And he has just been so ready for this moment. He has been the best player in the series for me. He hasn't really had a bad game. I mean, maybe you could say, yeah, game two, he wasn't good. But he's had three good games. I don't think you could say the same about any other player in the series for, for the Cavs. 29-6-6 on 50% shooting, 11 for 22. Five for nine from deep in 43 minutes. Jalen Brunson leads the way for New York. 45% shooting for the team, 47 for the Cavs. 26 from three for the Cavs. 27.6%, 8 for 29 for the Knicks. So not that big of a difference there. But the free throw disparity, nine more free throws for New York. The Cavs were 15 for 19, 79% from the line. The Knicks were 18 for 28, 64% from the line. Offensive rebounds, 17 for New York, only seven for the Cavs. So as the great Pat Riley says, no rebounds, no rings. Been a theme of this series. And right now the Knicks, one game away from going to the first second round series they've played in since 2013 when they beat the Celtics and played against the Indiana Pacers and lost. This would only be the second time in my life that the Knicks would be in the second round. No, I'm sorry, second time of my time watching basketball because in 99 they made the finals. But allowed to close it out. Sorry, Celtics fans. I know I made you wait till the end, but Boston and Atlanta, series shifted to the Hawks. And, man, that game three was a shootout. I didn't get to watch the first quarter, but, oh, my God, left and right. I mean, Trey Young finally came to play. I mean, he was getting in his bag. Step backs, getting to the rim. You know, the, the Celtics love to switch everything when they have Horford there at the five. And Horford does an exceptional job, even at his age, of staying with guards for the most part. But Trey Young was giving him the business in this game, in game three. He's getting to the rim. DeJounte Murray, another amazing performance. I mean, the first three games, I think the guy's been really good. Uh, getting into this mid-range, getting into the in-between game. And when the Time Lord is defending, he'll be in drop coverage. So sometimes that can allow guys like that are really good in the in-between game, like DeJounte Murray, to get the shots that they want as opposed to going isolation. Um, but the Celtics also were hitting offensively too. Like they were staying in it. They were hitting threes. The Celtics were 44% from three in game three, and they still lost because the Hawks were 44% from three on 15 for 34 shooting from downtown. And the Hawks had one of the best offenses in the league, so you knew you were going to probably get that, that one game they were going to just, just all shoot like crazy well. And, you know, the Celtics still shot crazy well too, but it was big plays in a big fourth quarter from Ice Trey to me that took him home for Atlanta. I mean, big shot after big shot. Tatum missed a good look at a three that would have potentially tied the game at 124. And then Trey Young got in the lane, got past Derek White, who's been the best defender on him all series. He's done an amazing job. 
hits the floater to seal the game, put them up 126 to 121. A huge win for the Hawks. As for the Celtics, Malcolm Brogdon had a good game off the bench, though. 17 points and 5 assists on 7 for 15 shooting and 3 for 6 from deep. He's been really good in the playoffs so far. The Time Lord played 19 minutes, 4.5 rebounds. I actually think that they played better with Horford in Game 3 because in drop coverage, Murray and Trey Young were doing a pretty good job scoring and creating shots, whereas Horford will switch. And even though they'll blow by him sometimes, there are other times where he holds his own and stands his ground and stays in front pretty well. Sam Hauser, 9 minutes, a donut. Grant Williams actually got minutes in this game, 18 of them to be exact. He shot four threes and he made every single one. 14 points. So Grant Williams getting some burn. And then the starters. Al Horford, 8 points, 4 rebounds, 3 assists on 3 for 7 shooting and 2 for 6 from deep. Not much to say there. Derek White finally kind of returned to earth offensively in game 3. 11 points, 4 for 7 from the field, but he was 3 for 4 from deep. So as far as shooting percentage, he did not. I mean, he's continuing what he did in Boston. Marcus Smart, he had a really good shooting game. 24 points and 8 assists. 9 for 19 from the field and 5 for 12 from deep. And then the Jays. Jalen Brown, 15 points. He had 5 fouls, struggled with foul trouble, so he only played 33 minutes as a result. He was efficient, 7 for 15 from the field, but 0 for 4 from deep, and only got to the line two times. So not the best game for Jalen Brown in his you know return home. He's from Atlanta. Jason Tatum, 29 points, 10 rebounds, and 5 assists. I think he's been pretty good in every single game, honestly. But he didn't shoot very well. 9 for 22 from the field. 4 for 11 from 3. You can argue that he wasn't very good in game 3. He also turned the ball over 4 times, which was a third of the turnovers for the team. So Celtics lose that one 122 to 130. But to be honest, I was looking at that game from a Hawks perspective because they needed to win the game. You know, I had Celtics in 5 before the series. So that was the game where the Hawks needed to get the job done. And that 9-man rotation for them... I mean, they got some good overall contributions off the bench. Really good ones. Seven guys in double figures for Atlanta in game three. 40 points off the bench. 44, actually. 44 points off the bench for the Hawks. So between their four players, that's an average of 11. Onyeka Kongu had four points and five boards on two for two shooting in 23 minutes. Jalen Johnson, 10 points and four assists. On 3-for-5 shooting and 2-for-3 from deep in just 13 minutes of play. I mean, talk about making an impact in the few minutes that you get. And then Sadiq Bey, really good game three. 15 points and 8 rebounds, 5-for-7 from the field and 3-for-3 from deep. So it doesn't get much better than that for Sadiq. And then Bogdanovich, I think he's had a really good series, honestly. 15 points and 4 boards on 6-for-8 shooting and 3-for-4 from deep. And he offers more defensive resistance than Trey Young. As for the starters in that one, the Hawks' only win of the series that will probably be their only win of the series. John Collins only played 21 minutes. He had 8 points and 5 rebounds on 3-for-7 shooting and 2-for-6 from deep. So again, not really involved much. And I, I really don't think that John Collins is just this pick-and-pop big. I don't think he's a good 3-point shooter, really. I mean, let's look at his career stats real quick from 3. First season, 34%. Second season, 35%. Then in 2020, that was his best season, 40%. 2021, 40%. And then last season, 36. This season, 29. I think it's just not for him. You know, he had those two really good seasons, though, 2020 and 2021, where he shot like 40%. But I don't think that's his, I don't think that's his niche. You know, I think he needs to figure out something else. 
um, and maybe on another team because they don't seem to want to get him to get better. DeAndre Hunter, not a very good performance in this one, at least offensively. Defensively, I think he did a pretty good job on Tatum. 11 points, 4 for 11 from the field, 1 for 6 from deep. Clint Capella had a double-double, 10 points, 11 rebounds. Thought he was really solid, 5 for 8 from the field. Also, no no-block shots, thought he had one. The backcourt brought it. A combined 57 points for them. DeJounte Murray, 25 points, 6 rebounds, and 5 assists on 11 for 21 shooting. Only 2 for 6 from deep. Both of them were 2 for 6 from deep, in fact. But 25, 6, and 5, you will take that all day. DeJounte Murray with three very solid games to begin the series. I mean, even in game one, 24 points. Game two, 29 points. Game three, 25 points. And in those games, you know, the only one you could say the first game, he only shot 40%, but 46% in the second one, 52% in the third. And then Trey Young, the man of the hour, the player of the game, 32 points, 6 rebounds, 9 assists on 12 for 22 shooting and 2 for 6 from deep. Trey Young was the man in that one. But then game four, which was on Sunday, I am not going to lie. I turned the game on late second quarter. The Celtics were up by about seven, and they won by about seven. They won by eight to be exact. So it was basically even the entire time I watched. I thought, again, Trey Young playing much better um, than what he did in Boston. I thought the Celtics were doing a really good job on him, though. I mean, Derek White, Marcus Smart, like these guys have just done a hell of a job on Trey Young. Um, he was shooting really poorly, but he was creating a ton of good shots. You know, the Hawks, a lot of it was just that they were cold in game four, first half. Celtics, they were making shots. They were playing pretty well. You could see that they were trying to, you know, put out the fire and just trying to eliminate any hope of the Hawks trying to get this game and tie up this series. But DeJounte Murray, I mean, continued to be great. He, to me, has had four good games in the series. 23 points, nine rebounds, and six assists in this one. Nine for 20 from the field. So 45%, and then four for eight from deep. I mean, the guy's just been amazing, but controversial moment after the game where he bumped an official. Shades of, it's so funny because 11 years ago, Rajon Rondo bumped Mark Davis in a Hawks Celtics playoff series in, in Atlanta. So it's funny that all these years later, they play each other in the playoffs again, and we have another referee bump, but this time it's a Hawks player. Same stadium, though. Likely will be a suspension. I can't see how not. That's actually suspension worthy. So that's it for the, for the Hawks. Like Their, series, their uh, season's done. But this is what I expected. I mean, losing five to the Celtics, I think they had some good moments, you know, in the play-in. And, you know, to get a win against the Celtics was an accomplishment. I think they made the games fairly competitive. I think game four was really fun to watch. But, you know, this is what their team is right now. And I think they got to make some, you know, I think having Quinn Snyder a full season next year will be good for them. Um, I think Trey Young, as far as his development, I mean, he's going to have to keep getting better. He's going to have to learn how to play off the ball more. Um, keep trying to get better at defense. I think that the fit with DeJounte Murray is not a bad one per se. It's not the perfect fit. I think it'll be better with another season. Probably try to get somebody else besides John Collins. I think somebody that's more of a... If you want a guy that just picks and pops for threes, then John Collins is not the guy in my opinion. But, oof. The Celtics just seem to kind of keep having that lead. And, you know, they led 65-53 to 53 at the half. In the third quarter, the Hawks outscored them 34 to 27. Really good activity. You know, DeJounte Murray was impressive. DeAndre Hunter was impressive. Clint Capella, not bad either. 10.7 rebounds for him in the game with on three for six shooting. Um, and Bogdanovich as well, even though he fouled out, you know, eight points and some big shots. 
three for eight from the field, two for five from deep in the game. Jalen Johnson, much quieter, though. Only six minutes, two points in this one. Uh, desperation for the Hawks as they try to tie up the series. Every starter got 25 minutes at least. But the fourth quarter, the Celtics did a great job of shutting the door. They outscored the Hawks 37-34 in that one to win it 129-121. And it was the Jalen Brown show to me. I mean, he was getting to the basket uh, at will. You know, challenging guys in isolation, whether it be DeJounte, you know, putting Trey in the pick and roll. He was getting to the rim with ease. Uh, he was knocking down shots in isolation. And Jalen Brown, the way he's continuously gotten better one-on-one and just in terms of his scoring bag has been amazing to watch over his career. I never thought he would be this good. And, you know, all those all the criticism he received last year about not having a handle, he can't dribble the ball. It's looked a little bit tighter so far in this first round. And Jason Tatum, despite not having the best shooting night, still made big shots, including a huge three late. And the defense from both the Jays in the second half was really solid. Um, you just saw the Celtics, even though the Hawks played some good offense. And Trey Young, he was not shooting well, but in the fourth quarter, he started getting hot. He made it close. You know, floaters in the lane. But the Celtics, you know, Jalen Brown, I think it was, had a big-time dunk at the end. And then Jason Tatum as well. I mean, the way they kind of showed, look, we got two stars, probably the two best players in the series. We don't want to go 2-2 back home. We are going to finish this. We're not going back to Atlanta. And they stamped their authority on the game. And, you know, putting train pick and roll here and there, it wasn't that ridiculous. But tough to stop those guys um, when they get going like that. So the Celtics win it 129-121. to A lot of Celtics fans in the building, as you'd expect, just given how many fans they've got, some chance of let's go Celtics at the end, even in Atlanta. So the Hawks, they get 21 points from the bench. Sadiq Bey, five points, only two for seven in this one. As for the starters, John Collins, Five points and five rebounds on one for nine shooting and one for five from deep. Yeah, it's just been rough for John Collins. Um, I think this will likely be his last year as a Hawk. Clint Capella, 10.7 boards on three for six shooting. DeAndre Hunter, he was awesome. 27 points and seven rebounds, 11 for 17 from the field and three for six from deep. Really good performance by him. DeJounte Murray, I already said his stat line. Trey Young, despite not shooting well in the beginning, he ended with 11 for 26 from the field, 4 for 10 from deep, and some of those were like logo ones at the end. 35 points, 3 rebounds, 15 assists, and I will say this about Trey in the Atlanta games, his effort defensively was better. He got a couple of steals. He even had one really nice steal on Marcus Smart in the backcourt, just straight ripped him for a layup. Two steals for Trey Young. You know, he's never going to be a good defender, but if he can keep trying to just get better and just show more effort on that end defensively consistently... He'll definitely keep improving as a player. What his ceiling is as a number one option in terms of leading his team, that Eastern Conference Finals run, just given the you know favorable bracket, might have been the highlight that he and the first he can go as the best player on a team. I think I just don't see it again. He's a really good player, but there are limitations, as I said with Donovan Mitchell. But he was pretty good um, in this game and in the Atlanta games, he's been solid. As for the Celtics, basically an eight-man rotation in this one with Hauser. Time Lord and Brogdon. Hauser played 10 minutes, three points, one for two. Both shots threes. The Time Lord, really good performance. Just a lot of energy off the bench, getting some big offensive rebounds. 13 points, 15 boards, three offensive boards, two steals, two blocks, just a presence down there. Really good timely help defense. Big time double-double in 29 minutes off the bench on four or five shooting. And then speaking of off the bench, the sixth man of the year. 
Malcolm Brogdon, big shots, plays at such a good pace, so smart, plays at his own pace. 14 points on 6-for-10 shooting and 1-for-2 from 3. He's got a very solid in-between game, Malcolm Brogdon. And then the starters, who all played 29-plus minutes. Al Horford had a donut, but 11 rebounds and 5 assists. He just finds ways to impact winning, doesn't he? 0-for-2 from the field. Had to switch on to guys like Trey, DeJounte, these guys. And, you know, he, he got cooked a couple of times, but for the most part... He's an old man. He's holding his own out there. Two steals for him as well. He was a plus 17, which was the highest plus minus of any Celtic. Um, so he's just, I mean, he's Al Horford. Derek White, another amazing game. I mean, this guy has been insane on both ends of the floor. 18 points, 7 for 14 from the field and 4 for 9 from deep. The Celtics shot 21 for 25 from the foul line in this game, 84%, so really good. The, the Hawks shot only one less free throw, and they were 21 for 24. So both teams shooting really well from the foul line. Both have the same amount of points from the line with 21. Marcus Smart, he's been shooting the ball pretty well. You know, for all the stuff we've said about his shooting this season, he's brought it in this series. 19 points, 4 rebounds, 4 assists on 8 for 14 shooting and 3 for 8 from deep. His defense has been really good too. Marcus Smart looks looks primed and ready uh, for the road ahead. And then the Jays. Oh, the Jays. Let's start with Tatum. 31 points, 7 rebounds, and 4 assists on 40% shooting. 8 for 20. Too many threes though. 4 for 13. Way too many. Don't need them. A couple of them contested. 3 blocks though. Huge impact in that way. And that's why I think Jason Tatum is so good and what the player that he's become. That's why I got him over Luka now. He guards. He guards. And Luka, it's not like Luka doesn't take stupid threes either. My player of the game, though, in this one, Jalen Brown. 31 points, 4 rebounds, 3 assists. It's extremely efficient. 12 for 22. 3 for 4 from deep. Very aggressive. Getting to the basket. Taking contact. And I, When I say taking contact, I mean really taking contact. Finishing strong at the rim. The Celtics shot. 40, I'm sorry, 52% from the field in this one, 40% from three, the Hawks 44% from the field, 38 from three, the Celtics win it 129 to 121 to take a 3-1 lead, and that's it for me tonight, guys, thank you for joining me, time stamps on the video to see what I talked about each series, I will be watching Nets Sixers games three and four, and Wolves Grizzlies, Wolves Grizzlies, Wolves, um, Nuggets games three and four. It looks like a lot of my predictions are going to come true. I was so tempted to pick Sixers and four, but I was like, I could see them losing one game, but they did it. Going to see how they win those two games because I really expected the Nets to win one, especially with the way Mikhail Bridges was playing. But let's see what we got on Monday. Yes, just two games. Oh, I haven't even watched Miami Milwaukee game three. I got to watch that. So on Monday night, we're doing Lakers, starters, duh, big game. And then we'll be doing. Brooklyn versus Philly, Denver versus Minnesota, and Miami-Milwaukee. If I get to watch Miami-Milwaukee, I guess we'll do that second. So thank you for joining me. Um, peace out. Have a good night. Now to the live subscribers waiting patiently in the chat.